Welcome to the Improv Discussion and Resources Podcast. My name is Chris Griswold. In this very first episode, I had a great conversation with Joe Bill. Joe is perhaps best known as half of the duo Bassprov, but he's also a founding member of the Annoyance Theater in Chicago, where he performed and directed more than 60 shows. He served as the director of corporate training at I.O., as well as a teacher and guest artist in residence at the Second City Conservatory and Training Center, both for well over a decade. Joe tours the world teaching and performing. During the pandemic, his story chain sessions are a great chance for participants to be vulnerable and share their stories in a safe environment. We discussed audacity, improv tactics, and just being human. It's always fun to talk to Joe, and I think you will really get into the conversation which veers between improv and therapy. As Joe and I discussed in this episode, there is no replacement for experience in learning improv. However, with this series, I want to bring together performers, teachers, writers, actors, directors, and producers to discuss our craft and share our experiences with you. If you want to take a class with me this month, I'm teaching a virtual Harry Potter improv class through Cavalia Plays on Saturdays and Sundays for four weeks starting June 12th. It's intended primarily for students in India, but the time is especially convenient for both the Americas and Europe. We're also sponsored by Pineapple, a video app designed for virtual improv. If you want effortless movement and a sense of connection in your virtual classes and shows, Pineapple is the platform for you. Try Pineapple, no final E, it's an app, for free at get.pineapple.studio. That address again is get.pineapple.studio. If you'd like to discuss this episode, visit the Improv Discussion and Resources Facebook group or the IDNR Discord. The links for both will be in the show notes. This episode is a production of Thunderbolt Comedy, through which I offer virtual and in-person classes in improv and sketch comedy at thunderboltcomedy.com. And now, my conversation with Joe Bill. Festivals had only kind of been around for like five years or something. Festivals kind of started in the 90s. And we had done screw puppies at festivals. But when Bass Prob started, there was nothing like Bass Prob. And it's just like, it was just like accessible. And it's just, it was such a different energy that like we headlined every fucking festival. And so then it's like, who do we put on with these guys? And short form didn't really work going into Bass Prob because like short form could close, but the problem is you couldn't count on it. Like Bass Prob was always solid, but it was such its own fucking thing. Mm-hmm. Well, you, and, and you know what? Be, before we continue to talk about Bass yeah, Prob, can yeah. you describe what was what um, what was the inspiration for Bass Prob? How'd that how'd that begin? We used to do a midnight show at Annoyance called The Screw Puppies, which I was the director of, which really just meant I went and got the beer. So it's like there's two cases of beer backstage. There's ten of us. We're going to take a suggestion, ignore it, and then improvise until the beer's gone. It's a midnight show on Saturday. And so also built into Screw Puppies is everybody in Screw Puppies, except for Napier, because he's a fucking queen, would go up and take a seven-minute shift in the light booth. So it's like light, we call it light, review style long form, lights up, light, lights down long form, stuff could come back or not, but it's like anti-improv, no rules, we'll just see what's up, but we're totally handling the show. Right, and it's lights out. And then lights come up and there's a scene. Lights come up, there's a scene. And then whoever's in the lights can black out the scene in whatever way they want or mix with the tech, however, whatever way they want. So, and it's also the annoyance. So part of being a member of the annoyance is like you fucking give each other shit and you find the raw points and push each other's buttons and whatever. I think one of us might have said, let's go fishing or something. Because we, we fish together in real life. So we just said... <laughs> We just had two chairs on stage, mm-hmm. and it was this, and Screw Puppies was kind of like this assault on the senses, whatever, and then Mark and I are both kind of anal fucking theater people. It's like, we need dynamic shifts and stuff like this. You know, on your fifth beer in the midnight show, we need a theatrical dynamic shift to protect what we're doing, you know? So we go out and we start, we pretend like we're fishing, and we're like these two guys, and there was one of the younger people who was on lights, and I guess they were like afraid to take the lights out on us, so it was Mark and I <laughs> doing this super slow fucking scene that was getting laughs like increasingly and building but it probably lasted eight or nine minutes and most scenes are like you know one to three and yeah and then like i think somebody literally ran off and tagged out the light person so they could pull the lights down on this so we got all of this shit and it's just like god what the fuck are you guys doing (laughs) 
And and it was like the way that everybody kind of protested and gave a shit. Like Mark and I kind of looked at each other like, I think we got, I think we might have something here. And so it became a pimp. So in, in future Screw Puppy shows, also some of the younger kids that would do it were more like out of their fucking mind. Like they weren't, they didn't really know how to play great scenes, but they could do weird shit that you know, had permission in the show. So oftentimes after some weird fucking Dada Brecht meets Ionesco shit, then Mark and I had go out and go fishing. And some people hated when we did that. So if we came out and we'd, we'd just cast, you'd hear the audience go, yay! And then they'd black us out and we'd have to leave. <clears throat> so when the annoyance closed in 2000, we just had the idea to say, what happens if we just make this an hour show? You know, and we started doing 20s and then the 20s felt like they wanted to be 30s. And then we workshopped it at, at IO and it's called Slugfest. So it's like, try out different shit, like on Wednesday night or whatever. So we workshopped it. And we, we did 30s with it and it was good and like nothing else that anybody had seen. And um, the only duo at that point was Jimmy Corain and Stephanie Ware. Um, and we just decided... We battled with like, do we do like a bass scene and then jump out and play scenes based on what we're talking about? And then we're just like, no, fuck it. Let's just sit here. And then we were boat prov back then. And then, then we got a slot. Pitts gave us a slot at the Chicago Improv Festival at like four in the morning at the improv all night. Uh, and we fucking sold out. Like everybody closed the bar. They came over to what was like the playground, comedy, sports, turnaround theater, whatever. But it's like a hundred and whatever seat. Sold it out at four in the morning. Did our show. Fucking crushed it. You know, was that just a nice, was that a night festival audience? We still weren't convinced that what we were doing was any good or if people were just being nice or whatever. Mm -hmm. Two months later, there's a Memphis Improv Festival and it was all short form. But Greg Childers, I'm pretty sure Childers was running it. We said, we want to do this thing. It's just like two guys in a boat for 30 minutes. And it's like, it's not short form. It's its own thing. And I, and maybe he maybe he had either seen us at CIF or heard of us. Yeah, so we go down to Memphis. There's like three short form groups. And then here we go. We're, we, we're on like at 830. And we do a 30-minute version of Bass Prov. And it's just like everybody's fucking brain melted. And then we drove. What do you think it is? What do you think it was about Bass Prov? Because I've seen people go crazy for Bass Prov. I've seen people desperately want to be on Bass Prov. Yeah. I think it's because we know each other. I think it's because we're good improvisers. I think there's an authenticity piece. We're, we're both from Indiana. We both had fished together. We knew the versions of ourselves to play. Um, and we both have, in the moment, we have really good fucking memories. And the I, I, initially, there was a misdirection so we would take something heavy in the news and something. And then Mark would always say, uh, take a suggestion for something you can stick your finger in. So we're like these two guys dressed like, you know, fucking trailer park people out in a boat. And the first the first 10 minutes or so, we're just like focused on what you can stick your finger in. And we give the illusion we're just going to be two fucking crackers, you know, making shit jokes and whatever. I think we kind of accidentally, it's, it, it's not like we were trying to be funny, but we're just riffing because we're fucking, we've known each other since college, right? And about 10 or 15 minutes in, we start using all of our fucking shit joke references or bullshit comedy premises as metaphors for the bigger social issue. And then all of a sudden the audience discovers we've been talking about whether jello with fruit in it is a salad or a dessert. And then all of a sudden now we're talking about um, healthcare. Like the healthcare system is the fucking jello. And then the cream cheese on top is the rich people who you, who you get to see in the healthcare, but the pears and the pineapples are the poor, you know. And we're still just these guys that are versions of ourselves. And I think also kind of versions of our dads, maybe a little bit, or uncles. That's what it seems like to me is the simplicity and the sort of mundanity is a big part of it in a way in terms of it's two people fishing you know what i mean yep. i think that a lot of i think that a lot of improvisers especially earlier younger improvisers or newer improvisers uh have a tendency to think we have to do something big to make it be funny and then to watch two men sit and just have the audacity to fish and kind of do this and take your time and be patient with each other and, you know, still be playful. I think the audacity of that strikes uh, newer improvisers as something that they wouldn't have expected. Yeah, and I don't think, 
I think the only piece of audacity to us was we're just going to sit here. Right. And I think also because Mark and I are more actor than comedian, like mm. there's, so our, our acting secret is the most important thing to these two characters is catching a fish. Mm-hmm. So our intention, yeah. if you want to get super fucking, you know, theater gay about it is like, we are committed to the internal reality and truth that we are going to catch a fish and we're, and that takes us out of the realm of I'm going to get a laugh. I'm going to be funny. I'm going to be a comedian. I'm going to be whatever. Like that's right. our um, like a material need is what is keeping you grounded. This this desire to get this simple thing. Yeah, and I and I don't know why this is, but very quickly we discovered without even talking about what lures we were using, what the weather was, or what the water <laughs> conditions were. Very quickly after the fucking shows, our first check-in was like, what kind of water did you see? What was the weather? What was what lures were you using? And it's just like using a Carolina gene where you're tossing spoons and weeds. What, you know, and that's, I mean, there's improv nerds that will fact check something on their iPhone. Was that fact right? Is that true? Right. Whatever. But we were like, so in the delusion of this reality that we more times than not, most of the time, we both even sense what the weather conditions were, right. what, you know, if we were going to even catch a fish or not. There's, And I don't know, Chris, part of me, you know, the thing I've been trying to cheat my whole teaching career is like, how do you cheat experience? Like, right. I think that, I mean, if any of us can figure that out, maybe somebody at Improv can get rich. <laughs> there really is no no replacement for experience. There's just not because you have to have failed enough times. I, I think so. Yeah, I, I mean, that's like part of failed it. and yeah, failed and, and. Yeah. and I mean, even a number of people have said this. I'm not the first. Like any everything we said is that we'll say today has been said before. But like for me, fine and mediocre is even worse than failure. Yes. Oh man, I love when a show's on the cusp, and I just I I have a tendency to poke at the audience. And yeah. see what they'll react to. Yeah, and then I, you know, I'm kind of uh, uh, tuning myself off of off of some initial moves, so I get a sense of what sort of tensions I can play with with an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Do you do anything like that? Do you? Are you somebody that pokes at the audience? Um, our default. This is another annoyance thing, which is, and this is all kind of Napier. It's like being aware of the context inside of the context. So if the show sucks, you need to you need to present yourself like an actor who's present and still committed to this moment, no matter how stupid or brilliant or whatever the fuck you're doing. But there's also that part of your brain, that left brain, the engineer part, whatever. It's like, can you look back at the suck you've been in, identify what sucks. And then we say, and then Andy Warhol, that shit. So like what has sucked about this? What has made this show suck? So you could go meta and call it out, which is kind of like the UCB eventually move, Mm -hmm. but it's just like, no, this sucks because we've had three scenes in a row where people aren't listening to each other and have the same position on stage. So now let's do 10 of those. I love that. It's, yeah, I, I, I fail, you know, fail big, go big on that. Whatever that is, dig in. Yeah, and, but I think it's also, I mean, me personally, I tend to under, I energy underplay. So there's two ways, there's two ways to get attention. Look at me and don't look at me. And don't look at me as pretend like nothing's wrong. So, but if I'm on stage with somebody who's doing a look at me and I'm playing a don't look at me and they're just blasting, I'm like, in a way, I'm underplaying if this is true, what else is true. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, everything's fine. Of course there's zombies. Yeah, the world's going to end. Let's, you know, I just want a fucking ice cream sandwich. I'm not going to have a big emotional reaction. I'm not. When like, you know, you're on stage with Matt Walsh. So what the fuck's we're going to do? My first instinct is almost always like, What's going on? What's the pattern that exists? There is no such thing as a bad pattern. There might be a pattern of badness thus far. And repeat or contrast. Um, Yeah. And so, and sometimes what that yields is, it was fine. And I'd rather suck. Yeah. (laughs) Between five or 10 years into improv, most improvisers discover why it's better to suck than just be fine. I think so. So the way that I started was I started at a short-form improv jam called Friday Night Improvs in Pittsburgh. Every week at I got to... At or before that? Uh, I'm not sure. It started in 1989 in oh, the wow. Cathedral of Learning basement. Yeah, it ran okay. for about 25 years. It's one of the world's longest-running improv shows. Is that near CMU? Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's on the it's on the University of Pittsburgh campus near CMU. So we get a lot of CMU. Get the shout out to the no parking players. Shout out. Um, yeah, <laughs> shout out no parking. But I had the uh, sheer fortune to be learning improv essentially on stage in front of 150 people each week. Huge. You know, I got to just I got to you know see what audiences were like, and I got to start to experiment because at some point, probably a year or two in. I got frustrated because it was a jam. Everything I did was getting rewarded, and I couldn't. Yeah. I was getting frustrated. So then I—that's when I started provoking the audience, because I needed something that wasn't just pure, pure love and support for a fellow audience member. I wanted to play with tones a little bit more and see what else I could get out of the audience. So is that like recognizing the rhythm of the music of the thing where the yes. audience is dancing, and they know when they know when part of their dance move is laughter? Oh, yes. Yes. I, well, this is the thing. One thing that I started doing early on was, uh, well, not, you know what? This wasn't early on. This was by the time I started getting sick of short form games. Okay. Uh, and I was still doing this short form show because this was the only improv around. I started trying to break the games that I was playing. Mm -hmm. And so I'd play the game, but I'd throw in another mechanic uh, or I'd throw in something else that was just going to keep me interested. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of found my way to playing these patterns off of each other, whether you want to call that game of the scene or, or what mm -hmm. um, that's what I was doing and so I was just yanking the audience back and forth between these different tones or these different behaviors uh, just out of my own selfishness which was wonderful to have on stage. So like if you're playing an emotion option scene just for example mm -hmm. if you're playing an emotion option scene then somewhere in there you're kind of bored with emotion option scene and so you start playing first line last line without announcing that's what you're doing I'm not necessarily doing um, anything that I might just Or you just get... discover a thing. Yes. I might discover something or suddenly get obsessed with something yeah. or confess something. You know, confess that I'm worried my girlfriend's going to break up with me in the middle of some other scene that had nothing to do with it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> An Adam McKay moment. Oh, is that... Is I don't know if I can keep going on with this... Uh... You know, I'm having fun. I hope everybody's having fun. I just want to get this out so the show can continue. Right. <laughs> or there was that... Sort of There's a famous group i want to say it's mustang repair that was at the uh, playground and they did they did a format called party cakes and so what it is is so, uh i believe they would take like a, a suggestion for a serious topic and then somebody would step out and the body language is like i'm not sure if i want to talk about this or not and then they would always start like okay i know this isn't the way that um you normally start a comedy show, but I just feel like, you know, in the name of like truth and comedy, um, I just found out some horrible news last night. And first, let me tell you about my grandmother. Um, she and there's a woman named Christine Sinecore, who I think is in L.A., who is the fucking best at this. And I mean, it is a goddamn eight to ten minute shaggy dog, horrible, dark, awful story, you know, and then, you know, she. And it's just like right on the fucking verge of like, is she lying? Is she not lying? Whatever. And then it always ends up with, you know, and then, you know, after going, after beating cancer, after fucking losing her child, after, you know, she couldn't keep a dog alive, whatever, you know, the flu got her, the goddamn flu got her. And that's why she jumped off the bridge. And then, and then everybody in back goes, it was almost like they took a collective breath and they go, and there's two beats and then everybody looks up with happy faces and goes party cakes and then, they, <laughs> and then they improvise and it's and so what you what you have in the audience is people that are hip to what they're doing but those people are watching that but then they're watching the people that they brought so it turned in to be this genius when you knew that mustang repair and i'm sure i'm getting the fucking name wrong but when you knew they were playing like you hope they would they would do party cakes so you would invite your friends to come to see the playground so you could watch them have to watch this and that was and that built their audience that's really great it's genius I love just, just tension just tension a hundred percent build this up oh it's the best Matt barbera was great at it john eiberger was great at it like shout out to like that whole group i just i loved them and they were like you know, nobody that quote unquote went anywhere, but like in terms of institutional presence in Chicago, but it's just like, that's an example of like, this is a working class ensemble theater town. And there's just so many groups like that, you know, even as smaller theaters were emerging where 
I think it's because this town, I mean, it's like everything that you're just describing right here is like a, a, a Pittsburgh version of like stuff concurrently you discover once you get past the two year mark, you know, now it's like, okay, now what can we do? Cause I'm, I don't want to do the same shit. I'm bored. So, but that's also part of it. And then can you, you know, then the other part of that is, can you do that with finesse and love and not, you know, be an asshole to everybody, which is, you know, it, that's also a fine line. Cause part of what was built into the annoyance was like, you know, we're edgy, cutting edge, assholey, douchey, bitchy, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it was mostly out of love. And then when it mm-hmm. wasn't because we, had our energy that was annoyance you know you can make the dick move and then make amends later but i mean that that's yeah that's the difficulty <laughs> irony fades uh, <laughs> yeah 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 that's um so so i'm curious about this so what sort of things have you been working on recently or what have you been playing with what have you been teaching what are your projects what are your passions right now so like the first thing i mean you've been to story chain a couple times so in a way i needed to do story chain because i just i needed to have some type of grieving process i think because i'm old and i'm not excited so story chain has been big because it's just people sharing stories and like my whole thing is i i am an improviser and everything that goes with that to make the world smaller So like my literal selfish dream is to be able to show up anywhere in the world where any version of improv is going on and be able to step into it and be of service to the people that are there. That's my thing. If if you saw and and that and then also inside improv with Stacey Halal, because Stacey Halal is one of my best friends in the world. And she's like a woman who's a fucking brilliant talent in so many ways on stage and off including marketing and her her theater curious comedy theater which you'll have to go to sometimes when you're and so we just started doing this thing and then elise rodriguez is somebody who reminded me of stacy 20 years ago who's like oh my god this woman is brilliant like it became very apparent that like it should be these two and i'm just going to be like sub andy richter kind of hanging out and if i can ask one good question i will last week on inside improv rebecca northern was was saying improv is like sex when young people do it at first, they just want to do it with everybody and as fast as they can. But then after a while, you're like, oh, there's probably something more to this. During the pandemic, there was a bunch of young people jumped on and now we could do short form and we could do bits on here and we could do puppet shows and we could do all of this. And it was like, man, I'm just not feeling that. And, um, and it was after... Like I run hot in the anxiety department and I've had like little depression dips, but like, man, I found some fucking new troughs of depression during this. Yeah, me too. Where it's like, okay, what do I do with this? Like all my secret, all my secret weapons to help me avoid the kryptonite don't work anymore. Yeah. So my version of it is I've got about eight different classes that I can teach different versions of. And my preference is to be able to teach them either through a festival or for a theater so I can help somebody else make money and I'm just not making money for myself. Mm, That's smart. So, um, and that also means that like, I don't, I won't, if I'm not inspired, I won't do it. I don't, um, for me, it's like, uh, yeah, let's scrape therapy. So like the one of the best things I ever learned from a therapist is this, is children concern themselves with what they can get. Teenagers concern themselves with what they can prove and grown-ups concern themselves with what they can give. And if I'm not inspired to jump into a space where I can give, I have nothing left to fucking get or prove. I don't need attention. I don't need, you know, I mean, I need to just be present with like, I can't get Mm -hmm. out of bed. So let's just be like that for a while and just not fight it because that's the food that depression likes. Right. Um, So that is to say, if I'm doing something for somebody else or through somebody else, that's what started me even to, to discover, Oh, here's things that do transfer to this. Um, And that's why I also don't, uh, you know, I, I can teach a version of like, acting with some camera technique on here that's fun enough storytelling was kind of the first thing that i taught Mm. because i teach storytelling for actors i had forgotten that i'm the monologist in the io you know art by committee book i'm the i'm the armando monologist and i right somebody's like hey will you teach monologues i'm like what are you talking about well you know on that the dvd what dvd and so 
Oh, and I teach storytelling for like leaders and business people and shit too. And, you know, I started running out of money and I'm like, oh, I better teach some storytelling. So I cobbled together a bunch of that. Um, and then I got lucky because I got a couple of job offers from political foundations in Europe that's kind of like presentation skills meets like public speaking, think, uh, thinking on your feet, whatever. And so in a way, I would rather teach people that aren't improvisers. I started a thing called Integrated Improvisation. So that's a website you can put up there. And the idea is where applied improvisation is applied improvisation. I'm interested in like integrating the psychological part of improvisation yes. into how to be present, even in a business mm -hmm. context. How to be rather than do. That's it. Yep. 100%. And so, and a lot of it is just like, you know, the the, re, the way that it's the same as improv is like, you know, let's keep in mind that many things can be true at the same time and there's very few empiricals. So one thing that's true is we can't teach anybody to improvise. We can only teach people to get the shit out of their way that's not improvising. Um, and I have no problem with anybody that would say, oh, oh I teach people, that's cool. It's like religion. I have no desire to change anybody's religious point of view. I'm like a Buddhist flavored atheist, but everybody can, there's plenty of room that's a fucking, let, let's be in a, a spirit of abundance here. Um, so then for me, what I've, what I've been doing and working on is like seeing who I want to give to, who I want to support. And some of that for me is just like having conversations behind the scenes with people that I want to help lift up, help their cause, help their theater um, as an old dude who's been doing this for more than 40 years. So, mm -hmm. so that's something that's like not out there. I'm not broadcasting it or like I'm not listing my services, but level one of my website is basically done. And so if anybody wants to go like have an idea of like, oh, what's he up to? What's he do? Or... It, like I kind of had to do it because corporate people in Europe, like, well, you know, if you're if you have a website, then you're an expert. Okay, so I called Casey Beeler in Austin, and who's this genius and artist you're gonna find? And she and I worked together and rocked this website. So now I have a website, but I'm not promoting it. Like I'm still fine with being an actor who's a shitty promoter. So mm -hmm. what I'm doing, what I'm doing lately and working on is paying attention to who I feel like I could be of use to and who I could give to while trying to make back some of the money that I fucking burned through in the beginning of this until the world opens back up. And then I'm yeah. all about going back on tour. And four months ago, I started a diet and I started stretching and it's like I became the fucking person that I was that I hated, but I was really like, I don't want to be one of those fucking yeah. in shape people. I'm trying to get there. I'm trying. I'm working at it little by little, drinking lots of water. Oh, so much water. Giant jar. Yeah. I'm drinking so much water. So much I'm getting water. on the old uh, Get, exercise bike. What is that? <laughs> yeah, I've gone down to like one or two cups of coffee instead of four to five cups oh, of coffee sure. a day. I'm taking walks. I'm I'm doing I'm doing the therapy. I'm getting back in therapy, which is great. Getting the meds. Get, got, get meds got, got your there. meds in order. Yeah, my doing some CBT, doing some EMDR. Uh, I want to do EMDR. Like, oh, I'm excited. Yeah, because there's like the last two weeks with my therapist. The convert. So I got I got to see my therapist live. I don't know if we if that part is we were recording earlier. Yes, this was your first live therapy session. Um, yes, in a long time. So the last I was supposed to see her before the last one, and I'm like, so there's a shit that people that have been through trauma. She's like, you know, there's studies done that people the people who have certain psychological things going on are fine with the video conference therapy, but there's people who've been, you know, suffered trauma and they're having trauma response. There's value in them showing up and being in person and proximity and kinesthetic, you know, awareness with their therapist. And it's just like, and I felt this building for like the last month or so, but it's just like, yeah. So like, this has been a therapy day for me. And it's just like, like I kind of exploded earlier on and, uh, <laughs> and I've just had a day that sort of ricocheted out of that, but it's also, you know, I was officially inoculated two weeks ago. So mm. I had this, this sensation of like, okay, the world's open back up and I was excited for like two days and then like, boom, back and in, back into the sands. Yes. yes. Like all dressed up and nowhere to go in the worst way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Same, same with me. I'm living in the middle of nowhere where I'm from and there are not, 
people that have the same interest as me around yeah. generally. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. Who, I, there's no one really to go hang out with necessarily or to, I don't know, date yeah. <laughs> or anything like that. None of that's available to me right now. Yeah. And it's, um, I went out to a bar with a buddy on Sunday night and I was just going to, you know, we're going to go have a beer to chat, catch up. He's, you know, he's been in town like six months and, yeah. Um, but we had like, you know, and I've been on this diet and I drank like six pints of beer and I had chicken wings, but I also ordered oh. extra celery and carrots. And I, you know, and I ate, I didn't eat, I didn't even finish a 10 piece wing and I ate all my celery and carrots and like, who am I? And then I was even more buzzed from six pints of beer. Um, but just like to be in a, like a sports bar with a yep. buddy with the Blackhawks game on and then you know, chicken wings and beer. It's like, it's just mm. freaking surreal. That's amazing. I just found out recently that I can have gluten after seven years of with of, of abstaining. What? Something like that. It's, it, I don't know that it was seven years. It was up there, five, six, seven years. At some point you uh, thought you couldn't gluten. have, hold on. I'm back out. Yeah. yeah. Tell me the story. I, well, I, I used to date someone who was celiac. Okay. Uh, and so she had to be very, very careful. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I did a cleanse with her. I did. She was going to do the master cleanse. And I said, you know what? I, I know that's difficult. I'll do it with you. And uh, so I didn't eat any food for 10 Is days. Is it like and syrup and lemon? And yes. Okay. Although about, about like four or five days in, I just started fasting for the rest of the week. I just drank water because I couldn't stand the concoction anymore. So I just fasted for 10. You end up feeling like a vampire. When you go without food for 10 days, I can't you even. feel like a vampire. Your brain also is just an overdrive because you're not using up so much of your resources in digesting. Oh, my God. And... It's really crazy, but in reintroducing foods, it seemed that dairy and gluten were both affecting me. The thing is, it seems like they still do kind of affect me, but I've at least gotten the go-ahead that it's not dangerous, that I can eat these things, that I can have beer. So for the first time in forever, I was able to have a beer. First thing I did, I drove out and bought a Yingling because I'm from Pennsylvania, <laughs> and that's the beer. Not a rolling rock. And then the next one I got was a Railbender from Erie Brewing, which is really amazing. Okay. Those are my Pennsylvania beers. Right on. Is it and, and Rolling yeah. Rock too, right? Rolling Rock, Latrobe, Pennsylvania, number thirty-three on the bottom. Oh boy, yeah. I my body told uh, somewhere over the holidays, like every time I would drink beer, I started drinking wine um, because because yeah. I won't drink a lot of wine. I can take I can have two glasses, maybe three, but but red wine also makes me drink water. So part of the diet is mm -hmm. like water, water, water. Great. But then I would try to drink beer, and it's like, all right, let's knock down a six or eight, or let's see what we got. And then it's just my, I would wake up the next day, and I'd be, I'd feel like shit for three days. And then through a series of tests, it's just like, oh, my body doesn't want beer anymore. So literally from mid-January till like a week ago, I, you know, I have zero, one or two glasses of Cabernet every night. Um, and then when I was, you know, when I fucking went out with my buddy it just tasted so good we always drinking pints of Stella and it tasted great but I mean this was Sunday night and and just this morning finally it's just like okay I think I feel okay and now I'm back to just water and wine I had turned off hope in my brain because yeah. I noticed that any plans <sighs> looking forward hoping for anything even like things that I missed or things that I like I don't have a I didn't have a lot of experience in missing stuff because of trauma shit. Like anything that wasn't present and right here, I could just feel it causing my brain to go into like hyper vigilant the fucking racetrack forms and then all the cars are going around my fucking brain because it's there's no point in hoping that it, things are going to open up at X amount of time and I could go where and whatever. And anytime I get an offer, like there's I uh, in Tolfama, uh, Italy, there's this festival that I got bumped from because of the COVID. And, it, you know, they said, can you come this year? And it's in July. I'm like, I don't know. Can I? And I'm vaccinated. Right. I'm dying to go back to Europe in the worst way, but I got to put together a tour. You know, it's like that's my living. And then it's just right. like, how do you know what's going to be open? How you? And then my brain just starts like fucking hyper ruminating on all the whatabouts and it's just not good for me. So it's like, oh, easy. Just don't hope, don't think, don't dream, don't wish, don't whatever. 
like don't and including like no no relationships no like anything just yeah. talk to other people and share suffering uh, online. <laughs> it's it's this like it's this perpetual state of temporary um you know not it, there's it, it's it's hard to bank on anything happening we don't know what's you know there's nothing there's no constant there's no oh this will open up by then we just don't know and and it's hard to build anything on the sand. Yes, I mean that you can count on, and so so right. like part of my therapy, part of my therapy is like also trust, which is, you know, ironically the trauma that the pandemic, like realizing that the mm-hmm. pandemic has put me into trauma and that I had to deal with that was concurrent with hitting a place in therapy where I was dealing with a deeper level of trauma that I wasn't dealing with before. Yes. Yeah. That's the same situation for me. That's why I'm doing CBT and EMDR right now is that in particular. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I sort of, I got, I got certified like, no, you don't just get a medical marijuana card just to get weed. Like you, this will be good for you. And especially where like insomnia and sleep is concerned. Mm -hmm. And so like I found the gummies that are like five milligram CBD THC. I can take one an hour before I want to go to sleep that and a glass of wine. I'm good. And it's like, I've gotten yep. fairly regular sleep. Yep, sleep's important for trauma. Oh my your your brain God. your brain washes itself it's, while you're dreaming. Yeah. That's what's happening. Your brain is just going like, I'm just gonna clean up a little bit. I'm gonna defrag. Yeah, it. let's tidy let's tidy up the fucking clutter. And I think I feel like I've told you this, but I've some other people have had this similar thing where you wake up in the morning, you like get up. Like and I train myself like get up, pee real quick, get back in bed because I, I I know I need two more hours. I know I need three more hours. Sure. And then you get back yeah. in bed, but if you don't hit it just right, then the brain already starts kind of thinking, and then yeah. that thinking all of a sudden it like grows into this mushroom of thought, and then you're like, God damn it, I just need to get back to sleep, and I'm just gonna chill, and I'm gonna breathe, I'm gonna focus on my breathing, and now I'm focusing on my breathing, and now I'm thinking of anything else, and I'm just I'm not even gonna try to go back to sleep. Fine if I don't go back to sleep, but I don't have to go back to sleep. Blah, 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 blah. Like that's literally, and then I'm just like, you're just talking too fast. Don't even talk. Just breathe. Just relax. Just breathe. And then like what seems like five minutes later, okay, looks like I'm not going to sleep and that's fine. I will stay in bed. And what happens is I think, okay, I'm just going to give up on sleeping after 15 minutes. And then I open my eyes and I've been asleep for two and a half hours dreaming that I'm trying to go to sleep. That's really fun. Nice recursive dream. It was, I had never experienced that. Like then the reaction to that realization is just a cascading of the same fucking mind shit. So, yeah. <laughs> this is what I love uh, about conversations with you because we get we get really into the weeds on improv, yeah. and then we also go like, so here's the trauma. Yeah. I'm I'm working on trauma. Yeah. Here's what my therapist says. I mean, uh, have yeah. you been having more conversations though about trauma and therapy with people during this time? Yeah, although I've for a couple years now, I've tried to be pretty open about that stuff. Um, I started doing a lot of PSAs for, about uh, ADHD, bipolar disorder. Uh, depression um, so yeah I've been trying to be very open about that I think everybody especially now has experienced trauma yeah an intense trauma I think it's really important to deal with mm-hmm. it you know whether it is like following a flashing light with your eyes and thinking about it or whether it is constructing plans or how you're going to handle anxiety attacks or, or, or whatever it is that you need to do um, I think everybody should really anyone listening to this should really especially like, yeah Improv attracts a lot of people who are working through things in some way. A hundred percent. And everybody needs to go check it. Just go see a therapist yeah. at some point and don't use improv as therapy. And you don't, yeah, yeah. It might be therapeutic, but it's not therapy. And go to a therapist. Mm-hmm. Look, look yeah. even if you know that you don't need therapy, go to a therapist mm-hmm. for six months yes. so that you learn how to speak therapy because it will only make you a better improviser. Yes. That's, oh, absolutely. I mean, the the level of positivity. I mean, improv has so much that lends itself to to your emotional well being. But in uh, you know, vice versa. Yes, the language of therapy is going to improve every aspect of well, your life. and especially listening. 
because when you because therapy teaches you to listen to yourself in a different way when a lot of our positivity and our yes and and our improv spirit is just an extension of a coping mechanism that that yes. we've developed as children again i'm i'm i'm, I'm pimping out uh, mm-hmm. uh the rebecca northern interview with inside improv through curious last week it's just like we're kids it's just like hey what if everything was nice here and what if everybody what if we were happy what if this family was happy Yes. I, I tell my students, you know, I bring up uh, is, uh, oh, can God create a, uh, a rock so George heavy Garland. he can't pick up? Right. And then why are we doing that in our improv scenes? You create a world and you go, ah, I, I missed the train. And it's like, oh, what you, what's going on right now? Like, it's always like there's a problem I have to deal with. Um, there's trouble. There's trauma. There's negativity. And it's so hard to give that stuff up. It's so hard to give up negativity. It's so hard to give up like subversive lines that subvert <laughs> what the other person's doing before they even get the chance. Well, and also like our the extensions of our coping mechanisms for trauma are more suited for short form. Um, because in short form, we don't actually have to feel anything. We just ha- we just have to indicate an emotion that'll serve the game that we're playing, a game that's been designed to give the best chance for the audience to have entertainment or amusement right Mm -hmm. so like but if you're you know i'm i don't give a fuck about arguing with anybody if long forward and short form are the same or whatever everybody's entitled to their own opinion but i know how i like to improvise in a long form or like if you and i are going to create a play i know how i'm going to do it and i can adapt but if you're using you know if you're using your short form chops to like indicate a uh indicate a disposition indicate an emotion and then in that indication i'm listening and responding to you then that's not going to be as deep as somewhere we can go if we've both been through therapy have listened to ourselves and examined ourselves and examined our and the great thing about improvisers is like we're we're listening to and examining the fucking therapist it's like oh where are you pulling that move you know, mm-hmm. all yes. the while while hoping it's like, God damn, I hope I hope I'm her favorite fucking patient. <laughs> mm. Isn't that? Oh, yeah. I'm glad that I'm not the only one. Oh, my God. It's all of us, Chris. But it's but it's I mean. My bass prop brain like five minutes ago. Of course, you and I always end up talking about this, but especially because this is this pandemic is traumatic it's almost like we're in the world's worst potluck dinner. So we might as well bring that chafing dish full of harsh own shit and put it on the table and say, here's my, here's my hypervigilance. Here's my trauma response. Here's my dissociation. Here's my bipolar. Here's my depression. Here's Mm -hmm, my DID. mm -hmm. Here's my episodic, you know, whatever the fuck. And it's, and I have, I mean, you know, you were ahead of the game. And like, one of the reasons I love you is like, it's like, I caught wind of you talking about some of this shit and as i started to unfold some of the really not pleasant trauma that i completely had just not acknowledged you know part of that opening up and my own resistance on my head is like i don't want to be a fucking spokesperson for anything i don't want to fucking like but it's we all of us feel i don't want to bother anybody with this Mm -hmm. And I think it's that's what underscores so many of us as improvisers or comedians. It's just like, I will make this funny for the audience because I've made it funny for myself. And at least mm-hmm. if I can do that, then I never have to dive deep into the fucking shit and acknowledge what's real because my fucking coper, coping mechanisms are like superpowers. So, yeah, it's a, but I think they are superpowers. I do. T- yeah, they are. And I'm th- that's I am committed going forward out of this the biggest change for me is like i am going to be an advocate for speaking and talking about mental health issues and for welcoming Mm -hmm. creating spaces discovering spaces where we can like talk about that just in a space from a space of just like sharing where nobody has to diagnose or cure or whatever just like let's talk well i i would say this so you've got story chain and in story chain people share sometimes very vulnerable stories with each Mm -hmm. other uh, that that happens a lot. People break out into breakout rooms and they and they share stories with each other. Um, anything like that, I have found to be um, so connecting to other people. You know, I get that a lot from Story Chain on Facebook. I'm always just asking questions so that people will kind of come together and share with each other uh, because it, it it gives me a sense of communion. Yeah, and it's you know, 
sometimes if I'm in a shit mood, I, I put one on your page the other day and I was just like, God damn it. You don't have to fucking write that. But I was just in a shit mood. And then because, because we've come to know each other, it's like, uh, Chris will get where I'm coming from. Oh, and okay. it was that comment like, did, did this conversation serve anybody? That's depressed, Joe. <laughs> uh, yes. I got it. I got a sense like, of that. It's like, yeah. Oh, I don't want to fucking yuck anybody's yum, but it's, I know. But it's it's also like sometimes if my brain is activated into a fucking space, like I just want to scream at 25-year-old improvisers and go, yeah. this conversation is pointless. You don't need to have it. And what I realize is they do need to have it, and it does have a point for them. And yeah. I can turn the channel and go talk about my fucking greens I got cooking on improvisers talking about food. <laughs> yeah. I don't need to fucking I don't need to slice and dice it's like you said at the beginning of that one th thread improvising directing coaching they're all different skills done now I don't have to look at this conversation anymore even though there's a hundred <laughs> different comments and, and it yeah and so I notice that like when I'm at my worst my trauma response is fucking always coming from a place of trying to get something or prove something. And if, and yeah. if I'm not really giving something then I'm, I'm as best as I can, I'm going to try to not post anything in an improv chat room and let younger people have that chat and figure it out for themselves. Cause it's not, it's not up to me. It's not, people are allowed to have their fun. I'm, you know, I have years, but it doesn't make me an expert in this moment for the thing that has to be said right now. I want to get to the resources aspect of this. Here we, we go. Had lots of great discussion. <laughs> yes, is there anything that you can recommend to improvisers that would aid them in what they're doing? And it can be anything that you want. What I am bringing to the table here is uh, the first episode of Cheers. Um, I think that, uh, especially if you're doing monoscene, if you want to look at character, if you want to look at pacing, mm -hmm. I think that you should watch the first episode of Cheers, the pilot episode. It's considered to be one of the greatest American television pilots uh, to, to, to just notice the patience with which characters are brought on and, and information is imparted to the character. I think it's really an amazing uh, piece that people should watch. It starts off with Sam Malone, who's very much the backbone of the show, uh, played by Ted Danson. And it starts off with him just carding a teenager who's trying to get served alcohol. So at the very beginning of the show, they just do bar. Let's just show what a bar is mm -hmm. like. And that's before Shelley Long even enters, enters mm -hmm. Cheers. Um, and and I, I just find the pacing of it. And then also just the characters are all two things. They all each have two, way, two simple methods of behavior, whether it's being very arch, like Ted Danson can be very lascivious, mm -hmm. and then also very thoughtful and intelligent. He kind of, he kind of is clever. And it's one, of, uh, one thing or the other is what he's playing over the course of the, of the show without it getting too complicated, uh, of that one episode. And I think you get a taste of his flaws in that episode as well. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. It's a really great offer. And it's like, um, it's also why platform and narrative, why keep it simple. You don't have to solve any problems in the beginning of Harold. You just have to have a platform mm -hmm. and you're, and you're setting up three different realities. They can all be different. You know, they want to be as quote unquote far apart as possible. But you can still be as far apart as possible and have embraced the simplicity of the sense of what you're doing and the potential energy. So that's a great one. So then my response to that is to watch the series Six Feet Under. Um, Interesting. Because I think Six Feet Under, the final episode of Six Feet Under is the greatest final episode ever on television because it's, it is an illustration of what you can discover at the end of a herald if you release your ego from fighting over how this should end um and so six feet under is it's both an it's a complex narrative and it's also a herald there's so many groundbreaking aspects of it for television nobody had ever seen anything like that um and just and what I'll say is you get you get the payoff. The last part of the last the last part of the last episode of Six Feet Under is a long musical montage. And in as soon as that music starts, just pay attention to how they do it. Mm -hmm. Because 
it is stunning how genius and engineered it looks while still coming across like a beautiful piece of jazz or music to use my metaphors for teaching which is like the balance mm. of the engineer and the the jazz in the brain it it looks the ending lasts fuck maybe almost 15 minutes mm. I, I don't even remember anymore but in a minute and a half, you go, oh, my fucking God, I see what they're going to do. I can't fucking believe it. This right. is genius. And then you're... I haven't seen this, and I know what you're talking about, and it's it's brilliant. You haven't seen the finale, or have you seen the... No, I haven't seen... I haven't seen... I've seen maybe an episode or two. I'm going to dive in now that you've, now that you've suggested it. Yeah, and it's another thing. One thing that gets lost, and I don't think it was like a big on-the-record thing that Dell said, but he said this in Kansas City when I, like, kind of at the end of his days when I work with him that I think is like one of the greatest pieces of advice for Harold that I think went away when like the need for comedy for comedy compulsion came. But I think now that we're living in this world coming out of this, I think this is a great note. Um, Dell said, our job is to enchant and horrify. And that fucking series, it is enchanting and it's horrific. And, but it it's also so human. It's so human and it deals with mental health issues and it deals with, you know, there's a God, there's just so much I want to say that I just don't want to say. Um, but yeah, so in the, in the realm of responding to your offer, that would be, uh, that's, that's what's front of mind now. We can keep That's going. Great. We can play like um, a ping pong match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to thank you for uh, talking yeah, with me. Yeah, of course, today. Chris. is a blast, man. So that's my conversation with Joe Bill. You can find information on his classes and story chain at his Joe Bill's Teaches Facebook page. And integratedimprovisation.com is where you can learn more about how he's combining improv and neuroscience for performers and business. Our theme music is Earth's Assault on the Central AI by TEDx courtesy of TEDx. You can find more of their music at tedx.bandcamp.com. We're sponsored by Pineapple, the video app for live performance located at get.pineapple.studio. Improv discussion and resources, as always, is produced by me, Chris Griswold, for Thunderbolt Comedy. Discuss this episode in the Facebook group and Discord. Links for these and everything we discussed are in the show notes. See you next time on Improv Discussion and Resources. <laughs> <laughs>